you're listening to the Some Other Useless Podcast with Richard Wigand. As Dwayne The Rock Johnson once said, Know your worth and shut your mouth. Hello everybody, yes, my name is Richard Wigand and I welcome you to the Some Other Useless Podcast. Actually, Dwayne The Rock Johnson did not say that. Uh, but that this does kind of go with the theme, or at least one of our topics today, a theme of worth and value. And we'll get to that. we got several things to talk about. One is a quick, fun thing. It's a rumor. Another topic we'll discuss is the controversy that surrounds the greatest British bake-off. And lastly, one of my favorite people in the world is getting sued. All that, and that's that. I could say all that and more, but that's that. We'll, we'll, like I said, the first thing is going to be quick, but the other things I'll, I'll try to elaborate more, but we'll keep things concise. This first thing is, uh, a few weeks ago I found out that, uh, I found out from Benedict Cumberbatch, he said that he's going back to doing reshoots. For the Doctor Strange sequel. He's also going to be Doctor Strange in the upcoming Spider-Man movie, No Way Home. So, a busy month for Benedict. He's been in several movies this year. One was out last year and eventually came out this year. He's got Oscar buzz surrounding one. And the Spider-Man movie comes out in December. And in December, he's going back for reshoots. And apparently, this, this is going to be six weeks of reshoots. And something that also popped into the news alongside this is the possibility of Hugh Jackman returning as Wolverine in Doctor Strange 2. I love this title. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And it's directed by Sam Raimi, which is already exciting. Bruce Campbell has hinted that he may or may not be in it. And he, you know, whether he did or not, he still kind of has the attitude of he may have been cut from it. He's he's very interesting. You know, I think sometimes he could be egotistical, but he has a lot of fun on the internet. And uh, I've met him. He is a presence. He is, you know, the Bruce Campbell. But he, all these years, the camaraderie he's had alongside Sam Raimi. That's, that's, what we, that's what you like to see in Hollywood, is friendships that last. And he's grateful to have somebody like Sam Raimi. And it's cool because Sam Raimi now returns to the Marvel Universe. His Marvel Universe doesn't even count. Uh, which is kind of disappointing, because I grew up with that. I grew up with Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man. Uh, Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin. I love these characters. Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man, though, I always thought felt kind of odd. But, you know, when you're first introduced to the idea, you knew nothing else. So we went with it. And then, to and then later in the third one, we see Topher Grace as Venom. And now we know what that's later become. Venom has now taken on its own, its own thing. With Tom Hardy, who also has played Bane in The Dark Knight Rises. Are you, are you keeping up with all this stuff? I know there's a lot of information, but all this stuff circles around back to each other. 
But it is pretty cool that Hugh Jackman may or may not return. We don't know. But there is a possibility that he could pop up in Doctor Strange 2. I remember years ago reading in a newspaper. This is way before like the internet. This is like right at the cusp of at the end of the Spider-Man, the original Spider-Man movies of Sam Raimi's plan. He had a whole plan of what he wanted to do. He'd have characters. I think there's a character in the th in the third Spider-Man movie that gets married to Gwen Stacy, who is Bryce Dallas Howard in that movie, I think. And she's married to this guy, or she's going with this guy, and he's hinted at being a a wolf. Like, he's a wolf character from the comics. So he had a whole plan to go in this whole odd direction. And it's just kind of sad that he was unfortunately not able to do it. They try to revive Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield. He was okay. He fit the... If you could, we can narrow down all the Spider-Man movies that they've had. He's lanky. You know, he, he, he definitely does look like how people would draw Spider-Man. When he gets into his stance, he does have that. Uh, as far as acting-wise, I, I don't know. I, he's okay as Spider-Man. But Tom Holland is my favorite Spider-Man because I think he just sells it as the Boy Wonder. Which Well, that's not, that's not Spider-Man, is it? That's, isn't the Boy Wonder Robin? What did Stan Lee call Spider-Man? I don't know. He's just a boy. He, you know, he, he's a boy who would get powers. And I think of all the... Spider-Man actors that they've had they've had more Batman but they've only had three Spider-Man Tom Holland is the best I, I just think that he he fits it better but Andrew Garfield like I said he does pull it off in that kind of he looks like he he looks like he'd be from a comic Tom Holland doesn't look like he'd be from a comic but I think if you drew and if you drew Andrew Garfield into the comic, it would look seamless of what probably the original Spider-Man would look like. Because Spider-Man would get into this, he'd strike a pose. And it's odd to see Tobey Maguire in that pose. And then there, there's the, one of the jokes in one of the movies of, of him having a back problems. Because Tobey Maguire did have back problems in real life. They kind of joked about it. But overall... He's a pretty cool Spider-Man. That's what I grew up with. When they later uh, turned it into what the uh, Hob, not Hobgoblin. Well, he is the Hobgoblin, but they stopped calling him that. He's like the Green Goblin, the Green Hobgoblin or something. But Willem Dafoe like made that character. Like it's it's and and James Franco was in the original. There's a lot of drawback of uh, had he you know, behave better. Maybe he would have been asked to come back because all the Spider-Man uh, actors are rumored, even though hints are coming out more and more, that they are going to be in the next Spider-Man movie in some form. I think that's the one, right? Yeah, I think they're all, they're all rumored to be in the third one. And I guess there's a trailer out now that has had them cut out, and fans think that that's a mistake or something like that. It's, it's, all, it's all very tricky. And also, you, you can't trust what Tom Holland uh, says, or you can't. Uh, he he's always he's notorious for leaking things out. I always I always see videos that pop up of Tom Holland can't keep a secret. 
But um, but yeah, it's, it's all sounded exciting that Hugh Jackman may return as Wolverine uh, when this Marvel Comics universe started X-Men. Uh, and unfortunately, it had something to do with Brian Singer. Uh, everything seems to have some kind of damper to it. Some things you just have to overlook. We'll, we'll get into that when I get into the Christmas movies. There's some Christmas movies that we you still watch, even though they involve some people that it's hard to get by. But, you know, it is what it is. But that's not for the same thing. Well, it is kind of the same thing. Um, but the X-Men, when they originally came out, uh, that is strange. It is the same exact thing. And Brian Singer does have a connection to Kevin Spacey, if you didn't figure out who I was talking about. But X-Men just create the original X-Men from the, the first one, the second one, and the third one. And everybody agrees that the, the second one has the best opening for a superhero movie. And it's Alan Cumming as Nightcrawler. And it is pretty cool. It's probably one of the coolest openings you could ever shoot. Uh, X-Men 3 was okay, even though later they kind of tried to tell a story of Dark Phoenix. Fomka Jansen as Jean Grey would eventually turn into Dark Phoenix. And they later make a movie about that, and that movie bombs. They like to try to scuttle that under the rug. I always thought that Fomka Jansen should be Black Widow then, if she's not going to be Jean Grey anymore. Because I think that Fomka Jansen fits better than Scarlett Johansson. Is weird how their names do sound similar, and they do have the John Favreau connection. So that's what that. It's it's all good. Say Wolverine is my favorite characters, um, the X Men. So it would be exciting for Hugh Jackman to join, be alongside Benedict. Anything with Benedict, I'm excited about. Doctor Strange, uh, but a Thomas uh, a Tom Holland movie could stand on its own, but this next Spider Man movie is just going to have everything going for it. It's getting better and better, seems like. But the reshoots are for the Doctor Strange 2. And it has not yet been confirmed. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that one. That's the fun topic. This next topic... We take you to the Greatest British Bake Off. You ever heard of the Greatest British Bake Off? Which is the UK's version of what they bring over here. Which is the greatest... There's several shows. The Greatest Baking... The Greatest British Baking Show... The Greatest British Bake Off, which is the original, I think. And then they come over here, it's America's Greatest Baking Show. So what's in the news now that I, I was very intrigued by this article. It's an article that points out that they want Matt Lucas off the show. Okay, so let's break this down to who Matt Lucas is. Matt Lucas is a British comedian. And if you... It's very odd. I, I, can, I, I can see what they mean. You know, I like Matt Lucas. I really do. Um, I think he still follows me on Twitter. But he, he's, you know, odd. An odd character. Puts himself out there. A lot of your British actors, I hope, I hope none of them are listening, uh, be my luck that they are, are kind of like self-indulged. Or kind of... Uh, Stuck on themselves. I think sometimes their personalities kind of draw them into that. Of however they start out. Of doing comedy. Having their own show. I don't know how many times we could watch a show. 
uh, a show in America or a British show. And I go, who's that? And I looked them up. And they're like really, really famous over there. And they had their own show. It's like, really? I get I get into people like that. You know, Hugh Laurie from uh, Stuart Little. We were always kind of impressed with the fact that we thought he was uh, American. And we're like, oh, he's not only British, but he's a British comedian. And he had this whole show over there called A Little Bit of Fry and Laurie. It's like, what? It just opens up this whole door and, and Hugh Laurie pops up on Friends. And that casting. The casting on Friends during that season is absolutely phenomenal. Because when they go over the when they go over there to London, they did their research on who was popular over there. They got Jennifer Saunders, they got uh, Hugh Laurie, and they got I don't know what the other guy's name is that was with Jennifer Saunders, but he's known for a, a famous British show over there. But anyways, you, you have these different personalities. And Matt Lucas, he's you know, mainly stayed over there. But now he's 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 uh, slipped into the cracks of he was Tweedledee and Tweedledum. So that movie would go over here in America, in Alice in Wonderland, where Johnny Depp plays the main part in that, um, the Mad Hatter. So that's when everybody got to see Matt Lucas, and then Matt Lucas also became a companion on Doctor Who. So depending on how you see Doctor Who streaming or BBC America or wherever it goes. I think now it's on AMC Plus. And I think it's also on HBO Max. I don't know where Doctor Who is. It's various spots. So he, he became the center of that. And people, I don't know what people said about that. About him becoming a companion. Uh, alongside Peter Capaldi. But here we go. He is now a, or has been for the past couple of years. I think it happened before the pandemic. He became a co-host for the Greatest British Bake Off. And they want him off the show because a lot of fans... And who's to say if it's not just this person who wrote the article? But whatever it is, it does open up an idea. Because I read this thing and it says that the British Bake Off has turned into the Matt Lucas show. It really showcases what he can do. And I guess when you're watching... A show that mainly is supposed to focus about the bakers. You don't want to see that. So I looked this stuff up to see what they're talking about. And it is... I knew he was Boris Johnson. He he does an impression of the UK guy over there. The Prime Minister Boris Johnson. He's really great at it. I saw this stuff on Instagram. And I didn't know where this stuff was. And I guess he would also play Boris Johnson on the British Bake Off. And you have Paul Hollywood, who's also from British Bake Off and all the shows. And he's part of the sketches, too. That's what they are. They're doing sketches before the Bake Off stuff. So however they got Matt Lucas to do it, they probably worked on some, some deal. You could be on the show, and if you want us to incorporate you a lot, you probably wasn't cheap, then we'll make it partially your show. You know, there had to been some kind of deal like that. And now people aren't liking that. He is a co-host alongside another guy who I'm not really too familiar with. Uh, a friend of mine tried to get me into a show called The Mighty Boosh. And I guess this guy is from that. He, These two guys play... These two guys are the co-hosts of the British Bake Off. 
So I'm watching the skits, and I can see the banter. They, they say that he gets over the top, Matt Lucas. Uh, sometimes he makes jokes that the contestants feel awkward around. Uh, the show is a competition show, and I don't, I'm not a really big fan of reality shows or competition shows. But the British Bake Off is not too bad to watch. Sometimes it, if you you know get, get in the right mood, it can put you in the right mood. The holiday stuff can be fun. I like watching. Uh, I just like hearing them talk. They're all from different parts of England, uh, UK, and everything. It's 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 nice getting to know those kind of people. And every once in a while, they have Doctor Who things that they make, so you really know they get into Doctor Who over there. Uh, but it, it, it's interesting how we watch it. We watch it through PBS. But when they fused it together, we first heard about it. Um, I forget when we first originally saw it, but this this thing comes on and introduces us to Mary Berry. My mom really loves Mary Berry and watches all her shows. And there was a discrepancy years ago, a few years ago, recently. Uh, I don't know how many years this show's been on, but she stepped down. She didn't want to be part of it. And it had something to do with they had already had faith into she she was more faithful to one network than another. So when they decide another network over there in the UK decides to air British Bake Off, she steps down for that reason. That's the reason that she gives. And they also lose two hosts, two women, and they are okay. You know, they're, but they set the tone for the show. Whatever you want to sit there and watch at the British Bake Off, however you want to get into it, you watch it for the people competing, you watch it for the different things that they make, they give history on what they're making, you get to know the people, you have these hosts that are the sideline that aren't really supposed to be the focus. They make their little jokes at the opening, other than that, then they go away. They're supposed to go away, you know, but sometimes they pop up the route to see how things are going. I guess Matt Lucas just hovers. He just completely gets in everybody's face and it's awkward or whatever. But the other guy that's alongside him is also been in the news for saying inappropriate things about contestants. But people are really rail against Matt Lucas. And I guess there's also another situation where he plays a German. He just automatically is just dressed up as a German and does this German accent that people found really annoying. And then he had to go on Twitter or whatever it was to clarify that he is uh, now a German citizen. This is like recent. He is an Anglo-German citizen due to his mother uh, having residence, I guess, in Germany. So he does kind of feel some connection to Germany more than you'd think. So... However anybody interpreted that, and how everybody felt about him playing that, it certainly just, you know, created this awkward, awkward television, I guess. But it, it's weird that, you know, you, when you watch shows, do you watch shows for the hosts? You watch... They're, that they're really not supposed to be the focus. And I wanted to see Matt Lucas on the show. Uh, it was like a few months ago that PBS was promoting... Or not PBS, it was Create, I think. Create was playing all these shows uh, of the British Bake Off. Uh, different excerpts. It, it's, it's odd how we get it. We, we usually get it in short installments. 
and sometimes we get it. That day was episodes back to back. It was a certain category of like cake week or different kinds of things, and they played them back to back to back to back. But the promo picture was Matt Lucas. I thought, oh, it's really cool. I I'd love to see Matt Lucas on the show. I knew he was on us. I'd love to see him as a uh, a host. Didn't get to see it. They kept playing ones that we had seen. So I was yeah, so my only reference is recently watching his stuff. And around Halloween time this year, he was sharing stuff in his story. People were actually dressing up as Matt Lucas from the British Bake Off. So this here's the odd thing, whatever this article was trying to point out. I went to these videos, uh, watching his bits, and people liked it. People actually liked Matt Lucas. Sometimes Whatever the reason the Bake Off, if the show failed or not, or whatever, there has to be some kind of lure to keep the show on. And, but people, some people do like Matt Lucas. And there is a draw there. It's kind of the opposite of what I thought it would be. I thought most people would find it kind of annoying, but people actually, you know, the British humor, they get into it. They appreciate stuff like that. I don't think it would fly over here. Matt Lucas trying to... People go... Who's that? What What is this show? He'd probably get, you know, pulled. There was a guy that got pulled. I forget who it was on the American show. So go over here. They, br they bring the baking show over here. Who do they think would fit in for us as the American greatest, greatest American baking show? They get a football player and a Spice Girl. And it's the most awkward banter, cheesy jokes, if you could call them jokes. They're not funny. It's just really, really hard to watch. But guess what? We're not watching it for them. They're just extra hosts. We're watching it for the people competing. We're watching it for whatever they're making. But it's better to watch the original British show. Because I love watching the British people make things. It's not fun watching the Americans do things. It makes it seem like any other show that Americans are competing against. You really got to be into it. If, if they have British judges on the show or whatever, that makes it, you know, you take a piece of what is original from the British show. Paul Hollywood eventually goes on to that. He came over here in America. He's been on a lot of the shows. But now, I don't know what the show is. I don't know if the show's coming back over here. Usually they do things around the holidays. And I think one year they rushed things. It was like an eight-week show. That they rushed in four weeks. You had to watch two episodes on, uh, each night. So sometimes it's a hit or miss whether they want to show these shows. They make them. A lot of times they make things over there in the UK. And America gets it later. But this. This was supposedly made for America. And they still rushed it. They, they made specials on ABC. And I think one of the last times it was on. It was on CBS. I think well, I take, I, take, I take that back. I think when America's Greatest Baking Show started for us, we were like, who's Mary Berry? I think that was the show that Jeff Foxworthy was the host of. Somehow they got him. So see see how odd that is and what they think that America would watch? We'd watch Jeff Foxworthy host, or we'd watch uh, a football player, a Spice Girl. Hey, there's somebody British. But it's awkward, awkward. But Matt Lucas for us wouldn't be any better. I don't think anybody would... I, I, I don't think that would last at all. But I do like Matt Lucas. You have to know, for whatever reason, they want to rail against him. 
and say he shouldn't have been this on this show. You have to know who Matt Lucas is going into it. He was known for a show, Little Britain, that I think I don't think you could get on any streaming service anymore because they did a lot of controversial things. They got, you know, you can't do anymore. And they would do these things. So he hasn't been fully, you know, pulled, but he's still out there in the mainstream. He's kind of had to stray away from that stuff a little bit. But the stuff still is out there in different forms. You know, it's just, it, it, is, it is what it is. People get easily, easily uh, offended, you know, by different things he said. But the other guy did worse things. You know, the other guy said like a sexual comment to one of the contestants. That actually said, we received 37 complaints. 37, that's a very specific number. They, they received 37 complaints about uh, what, what the guy said on the British Bake Off to one of the contestants. I don't just fully understand that thing. but So you think that they would want to pull that guy off the show. But there was something where a guy on the American one for the CBS show, something happened to him in real life. I forget who that guy was. I don't know. But that's that. So, I don't know what's become of that. I don't know if Matt Lucas is going to stop doing the show because of all this stuff. Some stuff does get out of hand where, you know, they'll look at social media and they'll go, hey, if this does kind of, if the show starts getting more attention for this, you know, they will let Matt Lucas go. And if they do, it's because the fans want him gone. But there's a lot of fans out there that still want him on. For whatever reason why you watch the British Bake, uh, the Bake Off show. And now, lastly, we come to when I say one of my people, one of my favorite people in the world is being sued. This is strange to me because I had just seen a video about somebody explaining NFTs to Quentin Tarantino. I know as soon as I say NFTs or cryptocurrency, somebody says, oh, you going to tell us about NFTs and cryptocurrency? I'm going to go back to bed. I'm gonna make it simple right now. It's gonna get it gets technical to explain a whole lot of it. But let me just break it down as simple as I can. It's artwork or any form of media. Audio, video, images, gifts, memes, and ownership. All you need to know. And that's all this covers. This guy was explaining to Quentin Tarantino. And he was saying, you know, you could take any frame from the movie. And turn it into an NFT. And Quentin was like, now how, what is that? What, what is the difference between that and a picture of, from the poster that some bootleg poster that somebody would have. You know, all these different kind of collectibles that have this picture on it. You guys trying to bring it up and say, well... This image, if you owned the original image, if being the key word, I don't know how excited Quentin got when he heard this, because I, I can only imagine he heard, oh, I could take this image that I own and make millions. That's what this guy was saying. Take that image of John DeVolta and Samuel Jackson standing. They're actually looking at Frank Whaley in the scene. Uh, famous, Very famous scene. Coincidentally, I was wearing a Pulp Fiction t-shirt or pulp fiction shirt while seeing this so this is like really odd that 
they're talking about this exact image. Turn that into an NFT, skip that word, turn it into something that can make money. And people can buy a digital form of it. They can own it. They're owning part of it, like they're part of something. They're investing in it. How, whatever cryptocurrency, whatever thing that they, they use to buy it, it, it goes on to this certain kind of network. And every day, the number goes up, the number goes down. Think of it like a, an art gallery. You invest in someone's artwork. Their value is either going to devalue or you want things to go up in value. If you have faith in things, and this is based off market and all that stuff, but what he was trying to do is later in the day I find out that Miramax is suing him over making these things. There's some parts that he thinks that he owns. He wants to sell a digital version of a scene of the Royale Cheese scene. He wants to sell excerpts from a script. And I think the, the script pages that he wants to sell are from deleted scenes. And I think they're from deleted scenes that were never shot. Because there are there were deleted scenes that I have seen. But I think this is like rough draft stuff. Question is, does Quentin Tarantino really own this stuff? No, he doesn't. Um, you sell a script, the studio buys it, they make it into a movie. Now, whatever his contract stipulates, they act like his attorney says that Miramax is wrong, plain and simple. Quentin Tarantino's contract is clear. He has the right to sell NFTs of his handwritten script for Pulp Fiction, and this ham-fisted attempt to prevent him from doing so will fail. So here's something very interesting. He sells the script. He's wanting to sell handwritten notes, which do kind of put into the context of he does own it. But if those are... You almost want to know, are these notes somehow in the script? Because that, that's how you would know if Miramax is right. Miramax says they own everything Pulp Fiction. They own everything that's part of the script. If he has handwritten notes that weren't part of the script that he sold to them, I do think he owns it. But then he's selling a lot of other stuff that he doesn't own. One thing is a recording that he will own of him revealing secrets or something like that. He could do stuff like that. But as well as selling scenes or selling images that don't belong to him, Says, according to the suit, seeks unspecified damages. Uh, a lawyer responded to Miramax's November 4th cease and desist letter by saying Tarantino holds reserved rights to print publication of the script. Miramax is saying printing the publication and selling NFTs are different. And they say that they have the right to sell NFTs. But who do you see Miramax getting the idea to sell NFTs on their own? If they do, 
they are now getting the idea from Quentin. The proposed sale of a few original script pages or scenes as an NFT is a one-time transaction, which does not constitute publication, and in any event does not fall within the intended meaning of print publication or screenplay publication, the suit says. The right to sell NFTs of such excerpts of any version of the screenplay to Pulp Fiction is owned and controlled by Miramax. This is fascinating because it takes you back to who really owns an idea. Kind of takes it back to what's put me off from making things over the years. I want to be in control of my idea. If I put it out there and it's a flop idea, who cares? Kind of like TikTok. A lot of bad things are happening on TikTok where they're stealing trends. And I don't mean to make it a whole race type situation, but it is a big thing in the, in the black community. A lot of trends that are started by black artists take off by white people on there reenacting this stuff. And that stuff gets seen more. Jimmy Fallon had somebody on that was known for doing these certain dances. White girl, known for doing these dances that are actually trends started by black artists. I bring this up because an idea that somebody, you watch what you put out there. And if you don't know the capability of what's going to happen or the possibility of someone yanking that idea from you, and that's, that's why we have copyright laws. So Quentin, very technical, Quentin wrote the script. He sends it to Merrimax. He, he sells it to them. They make the movie. He's the writer and director of the movie. It's his. Later in life, this NFT thing comes along, which changes the whole game. It might change the whole idea of what an NFT is because you want it to be original. And you're going to have a lot of problems out there. You know, what if somebody takes an idea that's already yours and they make it? You have to have some kind of proof. And this, this non-fungible token business is supposed to be the digital proof of original ownership. He owns, Quentin owns, the original script. But he has to know that it's no longer his. If his notes are different than what's in the script, that's a technicality. But, you're now in the world of the script will include characters that are owned by Miramax, but Tarantino, ironically, is one of the leading ones who to put Miramax on the map. You know? That and that other guy, who everybody wants to distance themselves from now, and they should. They have good reason to. But it, it, is, it is pretty technical. He has to go about it in an original way. Selling secrets... If he were to sell pictures, that also could get in, into odd things. I mean, it, it's odd to talk about that as a filmmaker of Quentin 
if he were to, if he made video diaries on the set back then, or kept track of all this stuff that he could somehow, he also wants to sell digital props. Because people get into selling digital things that are just like 3D models of stuff. But you're owning it, and you have the potential to trade and make more money on it as an increase in value. I wanted to talk about NFTs in another show. I didn't realize I was going to talk about it so fast. Because that's kind of where I'm going in the direction of how I want to, how I want to kind of experiment with different kind of ideas of getting it out there. By 100% owning it. Putting it out there first and owning it. Then turning around and taking it other places. That's very important. Everybody's constantly posting, taking pictures, sharing, all this stuff. In a rough sense, just to break it down for you, anything could be an NFT. But depending on who you are, is how it's going to increase in value. Quentin Tarantino is a very powerful person. That's kind of his weakness in this. Because if he makes too much money, Miramax will really come after him. But the notes thing is technical. The handwritten notes. Because he doesn't own the characters. It's sad to say. That's what you do though. When you sell your script, you're kind of you're kind of putting it all all your eggs in one basket at that point. Nobody's telling you when you when you sell a script, there's certain stipulations of the contract once the studio buys it. They have the rights to make it sequels. Uh, spinoffs, whatever they want to do to it. Reboots, remakes, whatever. You sell your script and your contract, your, your whatever contract you, you sign covers all that. And even down to the actors, when they sign away their likenesses, that's why you see some t-shirts that have these pictures of, uh, of the show. They're stills from the movie. They don't have to pay those actors anymore. Because that's part of a contract from years ago. So that's probably why you don't see everybody's picture everywhere. If it's a newly photographed picture, then that means a separate contract has obviously been created. I'd like to be on Quentin's side, but i also like to have a conversation with about it. You have to do this in an original way, Quentin. The guy who explained this to you explained it to you in the stupidest way possible. He made you think that you own something that you didn't. And it made you think that, yeah, it is my movie. It is and it isn't. You know, even if you came back and did a Pulp Fiction 2, you did a, a Pulp Fiction comic book, uh, a Pulp Fiction graphic novel. Even if you did, I mean, the only thing you can get away with doing is a Pulp Fiction podcast. If Quentin wanted to start a podcast, talk nothing about Pulp Fiction all the shows, and then turn that into an NFT. That he could do, as long as he didn't include any anything that was owned by Miramax. So, Quentin needs to learn about this stuff. He's an independent filmmaker when, he, when he's starting out, you know? And he needed the money, sold a script, true romance. That money was used for Reservoir Dogs. And then he starts meeting all these kinds of people like Harvey Keitel, 
who helps make movies because Harvey Keitel enjoyed working with young filmmakers, up, up and coming filmmakers. They, they, he kind of helped launch his career. You can only imagine how much that makes Quentin feel. So he has to sell original, original things. If Miramax turns around and sells these NFTs before him, that's like the ultimate way to screw him over. Because he might not necessarily get any of that. This NFT stuff is opening up. It's like the new way of the streaming thing when the writer strike happened. Writers weren't being fully compensated. You're going to have these NFT things come along and people are going to go, you can't make that that. And go, yeah, we can. We own all this stuff. So I like to be for you with you, Quentin, but I also I think that you, you need to go about it in a more original way. You do not own everything. And for whatever reason, your lawyer says you have the rights. You do and you don't. If these notes, these handwritten notes, sound original. But like I said, if I wrote, if I had handwritten notes, and I'm not Quentin Tarantino, and I want to make NFTs of a Pulp Fiction fan script, they'd still come after me because I don't own the characters. I had to change things. I had to make everything homages. I had to say, yes, this, this thing that I'm making is Tarantino-esque. You know? Or parody. You know, if I did a Pulp Fiction parody. People can get away with stuff like that. So go about it in an original way and you can make your NFT. So that's that on that. We've had a very uh, eventful show today. Talk about a variety of different things. I wanted to cover the Quentin story because I found all about it all in the same day. And I, I just think that he needs to learn more about what he's doing. It could be a very interesting process. Create something original. You know, Quentin, make that you be one of your next projects that your, your film could go on. Make an exclusive film that could be turned into an NFT and only a certain number of people can buy a ticket, like a digital ticket that unlocks what this movie will be. That's where it is. That's what this NFT business is all about. And I will talk about more about in the future once I start learning more and more about it. It's getting, you know, it's a hit or miss thing every single day, but it is somehow becoming kind of worth it. So to talk about, because it is on everybody's minds. People have different opinions on it. People have things like, you know, it's 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 crap. It's 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 a waste of time. Why own this? Uh, I think Sony put out a Spider-Man. Either Sony or Disney. I forget who controlled that Spider-Man. But they put out a 3D model that anybody could buy for like four thousand dollars or more. And it's like what? It's like you really got to fully understand. And it's, it's just it's a very delicate process. You know, Space Jam 2, when that movie came out, they had special collectible cards, these digital cards that people could buy. And and like a rough sum of it is, you know, buying something that's going to increase in value over time. These are like all small investments. You know, it, it could be worth it or it could not, because like I said, it's split. Some people say it's a waste of time. Some people say, like one article I say, said NFTs are here to stay. They're the future. You know, Seth MacFarlane, uh, Dan Harmon for Rick and Morty. 
that's the direction that they're going into with this stuff. It's it's a very odd thing. It's a very interesting. Everything is all based off popularity. We did a whole show on popularity. Yeah, of course, if you're popular, your stuff is going to get out there. Your stuff's going to get seen. But just imagine if, you know, there are people out there that are now famous and known for this stuff. So there is there is kind of a good part of it, as long as everybody knows what's going on. And I, I'm, I'm, it's unfortunate that Quentin is part of this where he is getting sued. He just has to fully understand ownership. You know, he, he owns it. But he doesn't own everything. He doesn't he doesn't really own it. You know? He owns it as much as I do. <laughs> in, a, in a weird way. Because we, we could both get sued. We could, we, we could both be in the same boat. If we both try to do the same thing. There's no way anybody can sell an NFT of anything Pulp Fiction. Unless it's original artwork. You know, if Quentin drew. Like, that would be the erotic thing. Okay, if you're not going to let me make these NFTs based off my movie that I wrote, my movie that I directed, my movie that I boosted your Miramax studio, I'm going to draw my characters, and I'll turn that into digital artwork, and I'll make money on that. And he can do that. Isn't that weird? How that works? So, I don't know if Quentin is known for drawing or painting, but he might want to get on that. You know? So, uh, like I said, that's that. Hopefully, come maybe come back next week with a new episode to close off Thanksgiving, maybe. Uh, but yeah, that's it for now. I thank you for listening. Of course, I thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you're subscribing. Uh, subscribe to Spotify, Anchor.fm, Apple, Google, Breaker. Thank you, everybody. See you later. Bye. You've been listening to the Some Other Useless Podcast with Richard Wigand. Okay, everybody. Utensils down. Seriously. I swear if I see one ruling pen out, I am going to be so mad.